We're hearing a lot about reference-based pricing, selling across state lines, and employee engagement. Which of those things is likely to happen, and how will it impact your practice? We'll find out on part two of this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. How can you be the first to know about each week's podcast and get on the list for special listener-only content? It's simple. Go to shiftshapersonline.com and click the subscribe button. Brooks, one of the things that's misunderstood that people talk about a lot, we haven't seen a lot yet because it's really a transformational change, is this reference-based or value-based pricing. Can you talk a little bit from a, because you guys pay claims, so you know, you're know you intimate with the cost and negotiating claims, which you know we used to do years ago when I was running a TPA. Can you talk a little bit about what that reference-based or value-based pricing is and how it might work and, and what you see for its adoption down the road? i glad to. So employers are becoming more and more aware that what they've, you know, the definition of insanity, the things I've always done, if I keep doing the same thing over and over, I'm going to get the same result. And, and they're becoming exasperated, in our opinion, with their healthcare costs. And they are reviewing their PPO contracts. There's all kinds of firms out there right now that are, that offer to review your, all of your agreements. And they'll tell you that really you can't do anything very creative if you have a traditional contract, a traditional PPO type contract. And, so they're getting very frustrated. Well, how do I get creative with, with benefits and payments? And how do I get to the table to at least have a discussion about what a reasonable cost might be for healthcare? Because a lot of the tools that have traditionally been available to the customer sort of block them away from anything that has to do with what is a reasonable cost. And employers are now demanding, we've been watching this dynamic since about 2007. And every single year it grows more and more and more throughout the country where employers are putting these reference-based pricing programs in, I have not had anyone dispute the fact that they absolutely lower cost. From our point of view, we need to bring employers, I'm an employer, so I can speak from that angle as well as a claims administrator. Employers really understand that healthcare is completely unaffordable, not just for the company, but also for their employees. So these deductibles, the HSA deductible was 2000 and then it moved away from even just HSAs and all high deductible health plans come into play, 3000 4000 5000 $6,000 a single for deductibles. And the premiums that these folks are supposed to pay rival a mortgage payment, if you will. And it's out of control. It's not real health insurance for most people. It's out of reach. And what we've tried to do is to try to get employers 
to understand that there's an impact that they can have, and that is let's try to get these deductibles back down into a reasonable area, maybe $2,000 a single versus $5,000 a single. And let's try to get these premiums that we pay away from a mortgage payment and maybe get it down closer to a car payment. And reference-based pricing has delivered results for many employer groups. It's made that happen. It's made, it's lowered those deductibles for down to reasonable areas where employees or members are still in the game, yet it's not so bad that they effectively don't have any practical coverage. And they can get away from a mortgage payment for their health care costs down to a, a car payment. All right, maybe it's a, a really nice car at first, but as time goes on, maybe we can get it down to a Chevy price versus a Ferrari price. That's what we're trying to do here. And we see that happening more and more. The challenge around reference-based pricing is you have to go away from a traditional PPO, which a lot of employers really struggle with. They like the idea that there uh, shouldn't be a balance bill, or at least there's a contractual protection against a balance bill with a, uh, a PPO contract. Although there's a lot of balance billing going on, even though there's a protection of a PPO contract in a traditional sense. But without a PPO contract, there isn't anything that you can rely on about a balance bill. And so you have to engage, and employers are repricing these claims at a, at a version of Medicare or at some version of the hospital's cost. And it's staggering to look at what the results are on a reference-based pricing program under that circumstance versus what you might pay in a traditional network setting. Do you see over time the reference-based pricing universe, for lack of a better term, overtaking the traditional fully insured PPO type contract where networks as we know them today become either much less important or cease to exist altogether? You know, I hear that all the time, and i it's way too early to tell. We're in a very transitional place in healthcare right now. There are so many good programs and products coming to the market that are trying to offer some relief to this. I don't know where it ends or if the PPO can remain relevant over the long term. I do see reference-based pricing growing tremendously across the country. It is not without challenge, though. It's, it's, it is not for the faint of heart. That uh, You have to be very clear about that. So it's a micro market at the moment, even though it's garnering an awful lot of attention, and rightfully so. Is it going to put the PPOs away? I don't have any idea. I'm sure the market will react. The hospitals will react. The, the pharmacies will react. At the end of the day, what I think employers are hoping for is a lot more transparency. And I, I don't even like to use that word anymore. It's starting to sound trite. But a, a lot more clarity in the transaction is, is a necessity. We have a, a mantra that we use here. If you charge us a reasonable price, we'll pay it. The trouble that employers have is getting to that reasonable price or having any say or input in what that price ultimately is. Everything is dictated to employers and plan members right now with regard to the cost of health care. And there's a lot of energy on the supply side that does not want any dialogue whatsoever around what a reasonable cost might be. I think the more employers learn about reference-based pricing and programs that are like that, they are natural instincts. Americans are very good shoppers. 
their natural instinct is if they feel like they're taking advantage of or getting taken advantage of, sorry, they're not just going to sit idly by and allow that to happen. We're very good shoppers. You go from one auto dealer to another auto dealer in a retail setting or one clothing shop to another clothing shop. You can see a real product. You can understand what it costs at one dealer or one clothing shop versus the next. You could go there and touch it. You understand the price before you buy it and you make the transaction wide open, understanding what the market is willing to sell it for. Nothing like that exists in healthcare, even in a reference-based pricing program right now. So to the extent that reference-based pricing stays around will be how well do they continue to help bridge the gap between what is currently being charged and what could be paid in the future and helping the parties, the disparate parties, the, the, the consumer and the provider come to terms on a fair way of what is a reasonable price. One of the other areas, and we're recording this about six weeks before the national elections, and, and one of the areas that we have heard a lot more talk of of late, I know you and I chatted a little bit off air, is selling across state lines. We keep hearing that. Why do politicians keep talking about it? Is it a real thing? If it is, what's it going to help? It's funny that you asked that, David, because for a long time, that was a real head scratcher for me. I I didn't understand the whole idea of buying across state lines. So in a traditional fully insured world, this is, this is where I, I think the issue is every single state has its domain over the fully insured carriers. The state insurance departments have to approve whatever's filed and offered in in each individual state. So that's 50 states. Every single one of them is different. They have different leadership, different governing bodies, and different goals and objectives. And they control the fully insured market in their states. So from a traditional sense of fully insured health plans, I never understood, well, how are you going to get the states to give up that control? They don't seem even remotely interested in giving up control. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. They are there to protect the consumers. So, and they do a good job in most cases of protecting consumers. So they have a a good and right role in the process. And I don't think in in most cases, in, in probably all cases, that I don't think they're willing or interested in whatsoever in relinquishing any of that control. So an employer that, that has offices all over the United States, and if they're fully insured, they often have to have slightly different plans in every state because of each individual state's rules, which changes the price. It makes it non-homogenous, so it might make it hard for an employer that has people that are working in New York City and they want to send them to the LA office or they want to send them to the Denver office or the Boston office. If they move them around a lot, their benefits change potentially if they're you know under, covered under those state statutes, which is a struggle and there's a lot of cost associated with that. In self-insurance, however, the ERISA 1974, the platform originally came to be mostly because employers, especially large employers, wanted to be able to offer sort of a uniform coverage across state lines, which is what self-insurance is. So from our point of view, when we hear the legislators saying, geez, you know, we ought to be able to buy insurance across state lines, being a TPA that that does self-insurance, I was always wondering, well, 
doesn't everybody have that opportunity with self insurance? But you know, the fully insurers really are penned in there, and they and that, I, I just don't see that as. I mean, how are you going to get fifty states to relinquish control? I just don't see that happening. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, Go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Okay, so interesting to talk about, but maybe not terribly practical. We've got eight or nine minutes left, and, and one of the things that I know is near and dear to your heart is the subject of how you drive employee engagement. We've talked a little bit about how costs have been shifted to employees, that personal responsibility amount for some folks, as you say, has become almost like a mortgage payment. What are some of the strategies and tactics that you see that, that are bearing some fruit in terms of getting employees engaged? And is it just simply a, a matter of starting by talking to them differently, by having a different kind of a conversation if you're an advisor? I think so, David. I do. We've tried everything and, you know, we get all excited about, you know, web technology, online information, and everything that seems to make perfect sense to that would be good tools for, for folks. And we're often disappointed at the usage. So, you know, we, we see telemedicine or these shopping tools or online pricing programs. As great as they are, the overall utilization is still very low. So we need to continue to talk about it. And the opportunity to get people to engage. So it really comes down to engagement sitting down with folks in group sessions in preferably even one-on-one -on -one sessions to go over everything about what what they have available and one of the things that I'm always I'm always surprised at and shocked and and, and granted I, I do this every day so it, it's sort of uh, maybe I'm immune to things that and, and I'm not as sensitive to these things as, as I should be but I'm often struck by comments that come from people and, and I, I, I see where they're coming from and they'll, and they'll say, I pay my premium. I pay my insurance every month and it costs me a lot of money and I can't afford what I have now and I pay for this and I shouldn't have to do, I shouldn't have to worry about these deductibles. I shouldn't have to worry about am I going to an in-network provider? I shouldn't have to do that. I pay my premium. That's it. That's all. That's where my responsibility ends. And where I can understand that, I really, I really feel for that. At the end of the day, I think what we failed at largely as a society is letting these plan members really understand what the true cost is. So for example, a family plan might, you know, the gross cost of a family plan might be twenty to twenty-four thousand dollars a year, 
And if you divide that uh, up amongst a monthly cost, that's a heavy mortgage payment for most people. I, I would, I would guess that that's probably a lot more than most people's mortgage payment. Now, if we're just looking at the gross cost, now an employer often will pay a portion of it. And, and if you think about it, you know, traditionally we're taught over the years that buying a house is, is probably the most, the biggest transaction you'll ever make the most complicated transaction an individual will ever make. And we look at the time we put into buying a house. We meet with multiple real estate agents. We go around and we look at dozens of houses. And then we hire people to come in and inspect the house. And then we we meet with the inspector and find out all the things that might be right or wrong about the house. Then we go back and we negotiate again to try to get the right price. Or maybe we walk away from the house. But again, and then we hire attorneys to help us close the deal. And we sign stacks of paperwork that go on and on for an hour at a closing. I mean, look at all the energy that we put into buying a house. If you look at what it costs monthly for healthcare for a family, or even a single in many cases, it's pretty darn close to what we pay for our mortgage payment, if not more. And we don't even have anywhere close to the same level of engagement in what that cost is. So there's a, a the Kaiser Family Foundation has a, a chart book out, a 2015 chart book, and I can't remember the exact page number, but one of them charts the, the average cost of inflation over perhaps a 10-year period, workers' wage increases, insurance costs, deductibles, things of that nature. And it's charted out. And it's a staggering chart. And we've started to use that to talk to employees about, hey, this is not other people's money. This is your money. And it's big money. And it's probably now one of the most expensive things that any family is going to have to pay for. And it's probably not a great idea for you to pay no attention to it. And and looking at that graph and showing that graph up in an enrollment meeting to help people understand what's afoot here, that because we haven't had proper engagement by the consumer, it might be fair to suggest that the hospitals and the pharmaceutical companies and when I say the hospitals, I'm not talking about the doctors necessarily. I'm talking about the administration of the hospitals. I think it's important to point the distinction out there is that they've ran away with our pay increases. They've run away with our money. And that means, what does that mean? That means my paycheck's smaller than it ought to be. And maybe my 401k contributions, if I'm fortunate enough to have an opportunity to save my 401k is lower, or my ability to save for a pension is lower than it ought to be. That means I have to work longer. I can't retire when I wanted to retire. Maybe I can't provide for my family right now the way that I want to. Maybe I'm going to struggle to pay for my kids to go to college where if I had paid more attention to my health care and forced more transparency a long time ago, and then you look at this Kaiser Family Foundation graft, perhaps the medical providers, the hospitals and the pharmaceutical companies wouldn't have run away with my paycheck. It's interesting that you know we, we do this in so many other areas where we market as advisors but we don't really always do a good job of relating what's going on in the medical side to their real life, talking about, hey, this is almost like a mortgage payment. I will tell all of our listeners, we'll, we'll post that particular chart from the Kaiser Family Foundation. It's interesting that you bring that up because we've just recently started using it in our presentations in my practice as well because it helps to focus people that you're talking to in, in a very different way, and it's, it's extremely powerful. Brooks, we've got about a minute and a half left, and at the end of these interviews, we always like to ask our guests, 
what they see coming in the future. What what does it look like near term, mid term, long term? To to the extent that anybody's able to think long term in our universe these days, what does it look like to you? What do you see happening? I definitely see the beginnings of of a transformation. I believe that that transparency, meaningful transparency, is coming if we don't let up on it. We need to continue to bear down and demand transparency. And I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, I need to see an estimate before I have a life-saving procedure. I, I don't mean that. I mean that hospitals, providers, pharmaceutical companies will be more open and honest about what their costs are. And there's huge industry startups now that are white hot focused on bringing that type of transparency to members and employer groups through their, through their TPAs or their carriers. And I feel like that ball is rolling. It, it took a long time. I mean, we've been watching a lot of these, this reference based pricing since 2007, and it's been painfully slow to come about. But over the last, let's say since 2011, 12, 13, 14, and, and now up and through, uh, we're coming up to this 2017 here, that ball is rolling and that is gaining size and speed and, and it's coming from every direction, uh, from multiple reference-based pricing vendors to new technologies that bring this data and quality light to light. I still think we're a long way away from having something that represents a fair price or a reasonable price, but we're on our way. And I think that if we don't lose sight of that, we're going to get there. It's a great place to end our discussion today. Brooks Goodison, president of Diversified Group. Brooks, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.